Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men podcast, the show helping men to open up about manhood. My name is Simon Rennie and my aim is to get men talking. From mental health to fatherhood and everything in between, Mindful Men creates a safe space for conversation. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you for joining me. It means a world for you to join me and talk about men's issues. And if you love what you hear, please subscribe and share the episode with your mates. You can also join the conversation on Instagram and YouTube, and I'd love to connect with you there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys, and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men podcast. I'm your host, Simon Rinney, and today we're getting mindful about disability. And helping me talk about disability, we've got Perry Cross and Vittori Buatava from the Gold Coast. How are you going, guys? Yes, Simon. How are you going, Simon? Very well. I'm really looking forward to this episode of the Mindful Men podcast because the last four years I've worked in the disability space and I've heard lots of different and, and inspiring stories around disability and perseverance and strength. So, um, Perry, you have got one pretty significant story that I'd love to, to share with my audience today. Now, to introduce you, you're a spinal research ambassador and you've got the Perry Cross Spinal Research Foundation. Um, you're also the founding director and CEO of Accessible Housing Australia, which is a specialist disability accommodation provider. So some fantastic work there in itself. And, and Victoria, you're the owner of Care Match Australia, which is an in-home support for people living with disability. Now, Perry, I'll start with you and a bit about you and where you grew up and, and I guess life before 19, because I understand 19 is when you had your injury. Um, so yeah, a little bit about, are you from the Gold Coast or did you move to the Gold Coast? Tell us a bit about life before yeah. 19. No, I was born um, on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Um, so it's sort of, people try and claim me as a New South Wales supporter, but I'm not, I'm a Queenslander. Um, and I moved to the Gold Coast when I was a little kid, so I've only really known, you know, the majority of my life growing up on the Goldie and, you know, enjoying the wonderful lifestyle that it offers, playing with mates on the beach, you know, surfing, playing sport, going to school, um, just the normal sort of childhood. And um, at the age of 19, just two years out of school, I was injured playing rugby union. I was um, injured in a ruck at Ballymore in Brisbane and then, um, you know, I suffered a spinal cord injury. And I remember that moment, you know, vividly going from an able-bodied active person to someone sort of laying there on the ground, unable to move, unable to feel, and thinking, oh my God, you know, something terrible's just happened and how can I go back and fix it? And you can't. And, um, you know, you basically have to deal with what life throws at you in an instant, you know, from every moment going forward. So um, there's no sort of subtle way to have a spinal It's mm. very brutal injury in terms of the... The nature of it, but also the, um, the psychological side of it. You, know, you can't really counsel into a spinal injury. It's um, it's so brutal that you um, you have to deal with all the emotions, endless amounts of emotion, sort of straight away. And um, so it was a, it was a tough period in my life. That was a long time ago now, but um, it's given me some good mental strength and all that sort of. Um, Always in life to go forward with. So, yeah. And so, do you remember when the injury happened? Like, do you remember 
lying on the ground and thinking, oh, oh shit, something's gone wrong? Or or did you mm. wake up in hospital? Like, what was that his next few moments like for yeah, you? Yeah, no, it was pretty sort of surreal moment because you're awake. I was conscious through the whole thing. And it's not traumatic as in, like, there's no blood. It's not awful sort of scene. It's actually pretty calm in the sense that lying there and um, that you just can't move and feel. It's a traumatic thing for people around you to see it happening. Because um, when you start to realise that this is paralysis, this person's never going to get up again and you'll never walk again. Like, and my mates who were on the field at the time, you know, a lot of a lot of friends were there at the game, which makes it even worse that you know it impacts your whole social group. They've got to deal with it too, you know. So, and then I was transferred to hospital like straight away. The hospital was you know, eight hundred metres down the road. It wasn't far to get to the hospital, but it takes time to stabilise a patient and then be moved. And I had surgery that night, went into surgery and sort of never regained consciousness for another few days. And I remember waking up thinking, where am I? You know, why am I, why am I strapped to this bed? And so you're not strapped to the bed, you're, you're paralysed. And then, uh, you know, I couldn't talk, couldn't eat. I was on life support. There's all these crazy things that you've never been exposed to going into your life and you're in the middle of this what feels like a movie trying to comprehend it still sometimes don't comprehend it it's all happened you know you think back to your wow it feels like another life and so how quickly like from the surgery you had the surgery that night and then how quickly did you realize how significant it was was it pretty pretty quick or did it take a few days to sink in or well it takes you know a few days to come to in terms of like, because I was sort of heavily sedated, all those sort of things. Mm. And then um, I remember slowly coming to and seeing people around me and talking and walking around and see so sort of just gradually coming into conscious state of awareness. My family were there and friends and that. And I don't think you really have a moment of waking up, but it gradually sort of comes in. Terms of what's happening, and you grasp the situation. And I, you know, you keep asking, "Is this really happening?" You know, like questioning what's going on. Like so many questions, and um, and I remember, you know, thinking like, "Well, going to be back to work on Monday." You know, like this is this is going to be a massive inconvenience. It never get back to normal, and that's what's weird. Life never, never get back to that point in your life where you go back to work on Monday. It all ends. And life goes off in this other direction, but it's just so profoundly different to anything you've ever known because there's this whole sector and industry of, you know, what we call disability and spinal cord injury and wheelchairs and, you know, all these all this stuff and things in this world that you've never been exposed to, which is normal. There's a whole, I have a whole new group of friends and stuff, you know, the same old group of friends, but I have new, new friends in different walks of life, so to speak. That is boundaries, provide support, lots of stuff. There's this new world, so and it's emotional and it's tough, and I can't really um, give it context because it's it's so it's so profound that you know you just can't even put it into words. Probably. Yeah. Now this happened when you were 19. And mm-hmm. without giving your age away, I'm, I'm assuming it's before the NDIS. Long time before the NDIS. Yeah. Uh, I'm in my 40s. Uh, 
of energy over 20 years. Now the world was different back then. There was state-based system of support and there was not a lot of choice and control and supports that, you know, were out there and people turned up at your house and it was like, wow, how does this work? You know, like some stranger cruising around the house, like we can help you do things and what's going on, you know. Oh, the good old days. <laughs> um, but it worked, you know, like make a long story short, I, um, you know, learned to eat again. So, you know, obviously got discharged from hospital and back home to my parents' home and trying to get back into life. And I found that I didn't know what I was ever going to do and life felt pretty hopeless. And I had some friends going to university because mm-hmm. I was 19 and I was like, well, Maybe I was to enroll at uni, you know, like I think I've looked at a few courses, enrolled myself in university and just went to uni with my mates and friends and for a social sort of experience. And then I started to realise that, you know, you can get an education. Uh, but it gave me some sort of direction and purpose in life. I was just doing it because I was sort of maybe bored and lost and didn't mm-hmm. feel like I had a place in society. And I wanted to be part of the community. So I felt like university was an obvious place for me to go. And I was lucky that I went to Bond University on the Gold Coast and they were supportive enough to make sure that I could get the notes from the lecturers and my tutors were helpful and all that sort of stuff that enabled me to be um, to take part. I think that made a lot of difference. They were a small university at the time and they were accommodating. Yeah. What did you study at uni? Um, surprisingly enough, communications, marketing. <laughs> so, and that helped me, you know, career-wise. When I worked out what I wanted to do, like, it gave me the skills and understanding that I needed to be able to go and, you know, do bigger and better things with my life. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a C2 ventilator quadriplegic. That's the, you know, the book term. But it doesn't define the way I've operated in terms of business and life, and it's just been a bit of a story to tell along the way, I suppose. Yeah. And for the next 25 years, I understand you're living between your, your, your parents and your sisters and your brother's house because I guess specialist disability accommodation, was that really a thing back then or not so much? No, my, like the most recent house I was living in was with my brother and it was a old Queenslander, a classic sort of, old fire trap, you know, <laughs> with a big ramp up to the front door and he'd modified it for me to make it accessible so that I can get in and pull the door out to give me access to the bedroom. You know, we'd just make do. And, um, and then the NDIS came along and um, part of the NDIS provides this scheme called the Specialist Disability Accommodation Scheme. And I'm someone like me who was being cared for or supported you know, supported by my family for accommodation. This was something that would suit me because um, I've got a high physical support needs. You know, I rely on technology, I rely on 24-7 supports from Tory and the team. And um, and it's, it's difficult to sort of paint the picture what life is like at home. Everything is bigger and wider and the house is sort of purpose-built these days. Living in a specialist disability accommodation apartment on the Gold Coast, it has the assistive tech to be able to um, 
allow me to do things like open blinds and turn on the TV and control the aircon and all the essential things in life that make life easier. And I think, um, you know, the, the good old days of living in the community in unsafe housing and that sort of thing is now evolving. That's where I've been able to sort of sink my teeth into it. Yeah. And Victoria, I'd love to hear about where you came into the picture um, and also hear about where you're from and your background and, and then, yeah, how you two cross paths and, and the kind of work you do with Care Match as well. Yeah, look, I was pretty fortunate, I suppose. I came into um, Perry's life oh, 13 maybe years ago. Um, I was in Sydney at the time looking after a guy in a similar situation at Perry, spinal cord injury, um, and I just wanted to come back home. I went to school here on the Gold Coast and I decided, um, yeah, it was time to come back. And fortunately enough, the same organisation that was looking after the gentleman in Sydney um, had Perry on their, on their books, I suppose, and um, I made a few phone calls. We found out that we went to the same schools just by coincidence. Um, Perry's younger brother was uh, in a year below me at school who I was aware of, and then my journey sort of started. And, uh, yeah, I've never really wanted to leave and I've, you know, I, I enjoy the industry. I, I've been in enough meetings with Perry to sort of understand that um, it was a growing industry. A lot of help with Perry and his friends. I was able to establish Care Match, and you know, it's it's a growing business, and it's, it's it keeps me on its toes, which is good. And for people that aren't familiar with the kind of work that Care Match does, can you describe like a day in the life of someone who works at Care Match? I suppose it varies from participant to participant, but essentially, what we like to see ourselves specialising is. It is um, the spinal cord injury sort of space where we assist participants from their hospital journey, transition back into the community. Um, that, that means obviously trying to build a nursing team around them, obviously getting OTs, all that kind of stuff in place. And then obviously the most important part and you know the thing that we try and specialise most in is building a team of uh, carers around uh, the, the individuals so that they can Know, interact and become part of the community as quickly as possible. Yeah, wonderful. And when I was teeing up this interview with Brianna, one of your team that works with you, Perry, is that she was talking about this unique, I guess, concept around it. You have a lot of male carers or people in your team. Is that right? Yeah, I guess um, from my point of view, I've always sort of relate better with guys that you know, similar interests. It makes you know, the day-to-day chit-chat a bit easier when we talk about the rugby schools the week, or whatever you know, like, and um, it's a personal thing, I guess. Of the horses, for courses, people, some people are totally different, but that works for me. So, I have a great team of support workers that, um, you know, all have sort of similar backgrounds, similar interests, and they get along really well. And I guess for me, that makes it easier for the, the day to day things to happen, and then that allows me to do my thing as well. I think that's what's important, like, is once you have a strong support base for your care and personal needs, then you can go and do things yourself with your career and um, work. And I think that's important for people that are out there listening, you know, that may have a disability and maybe thinking about getting into the workforce and that sort of stuff. You've really got to have a strong support team around you to enable you to do that. Otherwise, it's not going to happen because you sort of relying on people to turn up to their work so that you can go to your work and there's this flow and effect. So um, you want to get it right in the outset before you try and borrow more than you can chew. 
being able to do that fortunately to allow myself to do things like you know, the Spinal Research Foundation, accessible homes these days. So um, I couldn't do it without these guys. And what's it like, I guess, having a, a good supportive team around you as opposed to having to rely on family to do that like and, and allow family to, to be family and not carers? It must be a, a good feeling to let them, I guess, take that, that burden away. Yeah, and I guess I was lucky that I've got a fairly... Um, my family are amazing. They've been incredible for a long period of time. And I've been supported by... Um, my mum, who's been my sort of rock in terms of giving me guidance through my life, um, but she's also been very direct at the same time. And she was fairly clear from the outset that it wasn't her thing to be able to look after her male teenage son. She wasn't skilled in that area. And she said, you know, that's going to have to be for you to take on, which I appreciate, you know, like, because I look back now and I think, well, you know, otherwise I would have sort of probably dilly-dally between family and sports and all that kind of stuff. And I haven't done that. I've been sort of straight into the world of being supported by other people. And um, and I fortunately have thrived in that situation. Um, but it's been, it's taken a while to get to where I am. You know, don't get me wrong, but it's been a lot of ups and downs and towards and I. Over the last 13 years, I've had plenty of teammates that are team. People come and go. So it does um, take fine-tuning. But, um, yeah, you need people who can be clear and direct. And I can imagine, you know, you're a rugby player, so you're, you're not exactly a small unit, and your mum trying to, to provide that care when, yeah. you know, when you're 19 wouldn't have gone down so well. No, that's right. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, all the guys that I work with these days have rugby backgrounds. So they have the the um, physical ability to be able to move me around as well as um, the, the chat that you know, helps day to day sort of you know, make the work environment more fun and you know, a bit more uh, Yeah. And so for anyone who's listening who's not familiar about the NDIS, so that's the National Disability Insurance Scheme, can you talk a bit about your experience with that? Like, have you felt like it's been a good thing? We hear a lot of bad press about it, and I'm a, I'm a fan of Dylan Olcott, and I love how he tries to shine a positive light on the NDIS. Yes. Um, you know, what's your experience been like since it's come on board and, and I guess, some of the triumphs and challenges that you've had with it? Yeah, I mean, you know, some days, and to be honest, disability feels like a dirty word because, you know, it gets thrown around in the community and, you know, you leave the house, you think, am I going to get my you know, head chopped off by some taxpayer out there that thinks that money's being wasted? And you read some of the stuff in the media and think, well, maybe I shouldn't call it the media. But um, it is been, it's been tough. Like, it has, to be honest, I love the NDIS. It's been a great change for my life. I must be honest, but it has been hard. The whole sort of rollout seems... So it's been a bit clunky and it comes at the cost of people like myself who are in it because we feel responsible or bad that we're involved in it. And it hasn't been supported by the community as much as it could have been because there are some discrepancies around it. And if people out there aren't aware of those discrepancies, then you've only got to type in NDIS and say, so it is hard. Like it, you do feel responsible and you want to be 
a good taxpayer like everyone else and make your effort in the community. And I think I've tried to do that regardless of the NDIS. I was, you know, well engaged in the workforce before the NDIS. So you want to be a responsible citizen, but you want to make sure the NDIS works and it's got a future for people that come behind you. And, um, and that's where Accessible Homes comes in because we try and support people in a housing model that means their shared supports can go further. And that's the beauty of what we're doing with the, the housing stuff is that we're building housing that means that the NDIS goes further. And I like that. Um, but it doesn't get enough credit. Mm. So, you know, these two different conversations, one about the NDIS being not sustainable, but the, there's this underworld of people like it, you know, us in the, in the industry that are doing good work, supporting people in a more efficient way. But we don't get the credit and praise that we should. Yeah. And and tell us a bit about Accessible Housing Australia. Like where did the idea come from and, and like what does it do? Tell us, you know, talk us through what it does for the community. Yeah. Well, as I said, I was living in my brother's house that wasn't adequate and then I heard about the NDIS and inside the NDIS is this thing called specialist disability accommodation. So accessible homes, Australia build accommodation housing that is accessible, pretty simple stuff. But inside the housing or there's apartments, um, there's city tech, there's you know more turning space for big wheelchairs, there's um automation that allows TV to be controlled by voice or the blinds or the lights or anything that's electric. And it just makes my life easier. It makes life easier for my support team because they don't have to drop everything to do something for me if they're doing something else, you know. So I can have some independence as well. It's all these sort of beautiful things can benefit someone with a high disability. So we provide housing for people. Similar, similar situations to myself, we try and cluster those apartments or houses together so that people in our houses can share the support. And we have um, eight apartments in the Gold Coast of Palm Beach, for example. Um, seven of those apartments have tenants in them living with disability, using wheelchairs. And on site, we have a carer's apartment. And in that apartment, there's a carer who's on call for those people. And our tenants can share those supports. And this is a really efficient way of there being someone on site but not in your face all day um, and offering support to a range of people. And it's just a, a beautiful way for people to live freely in the community, close to community um, facilities, close to public transport, you know, close to the beach, close to um, the shops, restaurants, cafes, all the things that anyone would want in their life. Um, and we can do that for people with high physical support needs, and that's amazing. And it's a world first. Like, I don't think there's any other scheme like this in the world that's done like this as well as we've done. There might be other countries doing it, but they're not doing it as well as us. Um, and I'm biased. But... Um, we're the latest and the newest. And the way that we've been able to roll it out, I think, is, is groundbreaking. Australians should be proud of it. You know, we should be proud of the fact that we've got a taxpayer-funded scheme that has been able to 
change the lives of people that probably would have been living in a hospital or a nursing home or an unsafe Queenslander if they hadn't been for SDA and the NDIS. Yeah, it is, it is a wonderful thing that you're doing. And, and the, the scheme in general around SDA, I just wish there was more and more houses. There's so many people that are finding it hard to find accessible housing. But for Tori, like from a carer's perspective, having those, those cluster of apartments near each other and talk us through that and, and how that's beneficial and, and some of the, the good things that you're seeing coming out of the scheme as well. Yeah, well, look, obviously we were living in, uh, in suburbia here on the Gold Coast before SDA came about. And now, as you've seen before this uh, this interview started, the views that we do have and the, the location that we do now live in, um, I very much you know lived with Perry at, at, at times, and it's a much much more pleasant place to turn up to work and have that environment around you to be able to access things and go out and, and enjoy what the Gold Coast has to offer. And you know, like Perry said, the place down in Palm Beach, a lot of those guys had never had anything anywhere near near the beach or to the standard of what they're living in and to see the smiles on their faces, um, it goes a long way and it's a shame that um, obviously the housing market has priced a lot of units out of um, out of the SDA market but unfortunately, they're all fortunate I should say, they go into rural places um, so they can obviously spread their wings a little bit further and, and build housing in, in um, places like Rockhampton and, and Cairns like, like I know accessible homes are doing. So. Um, it's a it's a great great scheme, and I think there should be more of it. Yeah, definitely. And and Perry, you mentioned a really important thing is that it's getting people out of hospitals and aged care facilities as well that don't necessarily need to be there if they've got accessible housing in a community and where they can re-engage in social lives, yeah, and engage in work right. and study as well. Yeah, and this is where it gets tricky because the um the old state based scheme and the health system are run by the states, and you know. NDS is now run by the feds, so it does, there's a little bit of argy-bargy sometimes about how people get released and when they get released from hospital, where they get released to and who funds SDA and how it's all sort of pieced together. But we're, we're crossing some of those bridges now in terms of you know, being able to bring people out of, out of hospital. But um, we can take pressure off the health system um, by providing better housing and that's what's important for people to understand is that some people look at SDA and think, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's too flash. You know, like you've got automated blinds and automated lights and what I don't have that in my house. But the thing is, it's so expensive to look after someone in my situation. Um, it's more expensive in a hospital because, mm. you know, you have a nurse looking after them instead of um, tools. And his team of carers. So it's it's way more cost effective to get us back into the community. And it's way more cost effective to give me the assistive tech and all those things that um, make living so much easier than having you know expensive doctors and nurses running around after me. So it's um, it might seem counterintuitive, but the more SDA with it that we have, the better. And the cheaper it'll be for the health system and the, um, the taxpayer at the end of the day. And all those things aside, there's a housing situation at the moment where people can't get affordable housing, can't get affordable rentals. So we need to do more and more of this. So the government's faced with a predicament at the moment to be able to sort of roll out more of this 
in more areas, as Tor's mentioned. We're looking at North Queensland um, to do this because it's affordable still to be able to go and into those areas and do it. Maybe a different setting, maybe on the ground, maybe it's not apartments, maybe it's you know, villas side by side or something along those lines and, um, and support people in those regional areas. People in regional communities haven't had the sort of supports that they've needed over the years and it sort of forced people with spinal cord injuries, particularly that I know, to move into the bigger cities because that's where you go and get better support. Well, we should be able to reverse that now and say we're going to roll it back into the regions. We're going to roll it back into those communities that haven't had those supports and that's what the NBRS is offering, I suppose. Yeah, and you talked a bit about cost effectiveness before and sustainability. And and when you're building a house, you're building, you know, you're using builders and trades, and and you're you're engaging with property managers and all this type of stuff. So it's not so much a, just a one person one person exchange of money. It's actually building an economy around uh, the person living with disability and their and their families as well. Yeah, by um by clustering housing together, we can then cluster supports, and um you know. By going to those regional areas, we can build villas, say, on the ground, side by side, close proximity to each other. And then, you know, a company like Tours company can come in and occupy the shared support apartment for the, the tenants. And then, you know, these apartments we have have speakers in the roof so that, you know, Tours as carers can be called upon just by someone like myself sort of talking to the speaker in the roof if I need someone urgently to come up and, and help me. So that's what's really beautiful about the scheme is that, you know, someone doesn't have to be sitting in your house waiting for you to make a request to do something. They can be nearby in a, in a separate apartment called Villa. We can call upon them when we need them and then they can, you know, come out as needs to be. And then by sort of living in close proximity, all those tenants then share that that support cost and then when you'll need to leave your villa or apartment to go out into the community and do your day-to-day activities that's when you call upon your primary supports and day-to-day supports um so and that's when you have your normal outings yeah and vittori you know perry's team is is full of rugby players what is it about (laughs) rugby players that are doing work in the disability sector as well like actually attracting them to do this type of work Look, it's been a big part of my life and um, I suppose my sporting communities are rugby teams, you know, rugby clubs. Um, and I suppose over the years I've had guys ask me, what do you, what do, you do? And I, I tell them and they, they obviously go, well, what's that? How do you do that? Essentially it's looking after someone, right? And they're obviously a little bit uh, turned off by it, but at the end of the day they see how much fun I have. And it doesn't happen with every participant, don't get me wrong. but most of the guys that have spinal cord injuries that we've come across, they're young gentlemen that want to get back into the community, that want to go to the pub, want to catch up with their mates, and they don't want to go with people that are 40, 50 years old. They want to be able to take their support worker, have a joke, not take things too too personally, have a few beers together, and then at the end of the day, you turn out being really good mates, just like my friend here, Perry. <laughs> um, but... You know, that's that's the sort of attitude I've, I've taken into it and I encourage all the guys that I've introduced to our participants, that's the way you should be looking at it. And fortunately enough, it, it's worked out that way. So um, 
you know, it's it's a it's a genuine career if you want it to be. I've obviously been lucky to be able to turn it into a business, but again, that doesn't happen without hanging around with people like Perry and his company. So um, I've been really fortunate. It's it's been really good to me, but at the same time, I want to make sure that our standards remain high and everyone's doing the right thing and having a good time. Yeah, it is it is an amazing thing, and and. In my work in the disability sector, is seeing guys come in, into the field, you don't see it as often as, as the females as well. Yeah, I was going to add to that as well. Like, Todd's just said about the rugby background. Like, it's the thing um, that brings us together as blokes is our sporting backgrounds and the rugby backgrounds. Um, but I guess that's what brings businesses together sometimes anyway. Like, it's, it's probably more obvious because it's we're in this industry and it's new and it's sort of different to the disability sector. But, well, you know, I have um, my Spinal Research Foundation and on that Spinal Research Foundation, we have a board of directors and, you know, those guys all have backgrounds in playing rugby together as well. It's not just that it's disability. I think that's sometimes gets overlooked at the things that bring us together in work and play are universal and um, we forget that sometimes and the relationship we build in life are through those community networks with people anyway so it's um, it's probably sometimes gets overlooked yeah yeah and that's the beauty about sport isn't it it's about bringing us together and shared you know interests and passions as well And, and as you say you can play it for a while and then you know after that you can still get together with the blokes and have a beer and essentially working as a team through life, not just necessarily on, on the pitch. But Perry, I'd love to talk just quickly about the, the Perry Cross Spinal Research Foundation. You did mention that just, just briefly there. Um, yeah, talk us about how that came about and, and some of the, the good things that you're doing with the Research Foundation. Spinal Research Foundation came before Accessible Homes. Some of the guys involved in the Spinal Research Foundation have helped me with Accessible Homes, and I guess that's probably this ties together. But... Um, I set up the Spinal Research Foundation probably 15 years ago or something. Christopher Reeve was a Superman actor when I was a kid. And um, coincidentally, he had a spinal cord injury and he was our sort of spokesperson and advocate for spinal research all over the world, really. Like everyone knew he was, he was a famous actor. Unfortunately, he passed away a long time ago now, but um, and we lost our advocate for spinal research and that was where I sort of got the initiative to um, set up my own research foundation because we needed to continue the great work he'd set up and advocate for medical research and I'm a strong believer that it's difficult for scientists and people in labs to go out and advocate in the community for research. It's got to happen from the people who need it and so I have a group of people around me help advocate that medical research. You know, we go out into the community and we talk about the need for research and the need to fund medical research. And amazingly, um, a fluke in a sense that on the Gold Coast we have a, a lab that's got some really incredible, amazing research happening. We take the, the stem cells out of the olfactory nerve in the nasal cavity and we purify those cells. Then work on um, building nerve bridges that can be then transplanted into the, into the spinal 
toward. And that's um, the amazing technology that we're working on funding the human trials in next year. And it's remarkable that we live on the Gold Coast and that this research happens on the Gold Coast and some pretty groundbreaking stuff. And the guy who was the instigator of some of this research was the 2017 Australian of the Year, Professor Alan K. Sims. So um, it's it's very well recognised and um, we can't do enough to sort of see its praises and support its work. Yeah, it sounds really wonderful that you, you, you're doing this. And, and as you say, like a lot of the stuff that we do in life, if it's informed by lived experience, it can certainly go a long way to pushing the agenda further as opposed to someone just advocating for it, but not really having walked in those shoes or or, yep. or, or things like that. So, um, yeah, it's a really wonderful thing that you're doing. I really enjoyed this conversation, fellas, and, and I'm really thankful that you've come along for the chat. But, Perry, you know, based on your experience and your life and, and everything that's happened and if someone's out there listening today that maybe they've been impacted by a spinal cord injury, either directly or indirectly, maybe it's a friend or family or, or something like that, and they're really struggling to come to terms with it, you know, based on your experience, what's some advice you could give to help them kind of work through that? Yeah, I think um, the, the trick for me at a young age was to get focused and get passionate. You know, they say um, our minds are very powerful. And I, I think our mind is like a, um, a magnifying glass. If you take a magnifying glass out of the sun and wave it all around, the magnifying glass has got no power. But if you take it out of the sun and you focus it on an object, it's got immense power. And get that focus right, it's got enough power to be able to burn. You know, you can burn a piece of paper or a, or a leaf, you know, that sort of thing. So... Um, I think our mind is like that. It's only when you get focused that you have power, and but you have to apply their passion and you've got to apply their enthusiasm. Um, and we're lucky that you know, towards uh, in the industries that we're focused on, we're passionate about, and I think that's the key for people out there, sort of maybe looking for something to get into. Um, do what you're focused on, do what you're passionate about. Um, if you're not focused, get focused. If you're not passionate, get passionate. Yeah, I love it. And, and Vittori, from your perspective, maybe someone's listening and, and they're thinking about getting into disability work, um, but they're not quite sure, particularly for any guys out there. From your experience, what advice could you give them to kind of push them into this direction and do some great work in the community? Yeah, look, I think just give it a go. Like it, it, It's probably not something that most young males would think they'd get themselves into, but um, like I said before, it, you're hanging around your mates, you get to do some pretty amazing stuff, and you, you're making the new norm, I suppose, getting these guys out in the community so that people, they stop staring and they just they look straight past you. They don't look at the wheelchair. They see a normal bloke. He's sitting in a chair, no dramas. That's just the norm. And I think that's the way it should be. Um, you know, as Perry said, like I, I maybe wasn't passionate about this industry when I first started, but I certainly am now. I really enjoy it. Um, you know, it, it obviously it's catapulted care match to where it is now today. And um, without this guy's help beside me in a chair, who's now the norm to me, it wouldn't be where it is. So it's a it's a great industry to be involved in, and I, look, I have a, a great time doing it. Wonderful, that's great to hear. Now, lads, I'll um, 
I'll put the links into the show notes of all your, your businesses and, and, and the foundation and all that type of stuff as well so people can access that. But I'd like to, to finish off each episode with you guys plugging something that makes you feel good. Um, it's kind of a bit of a pay it forward, like are you watching something on TV or listening to something or reading something or doing something in your day-to-day life that makes you feel good that other people can tune into as well? Look, I, um, we have this funny thing in our team. Yeah, we do the daily quiz in the Australian newspaper. We started doing it during lockdown um, because we were obviously locked down and we were doing a lot of reading and stuff. But um, but uh, the daily daily quiz, it's tough. Um, it's very hard, uh, but it, it keeps your mind sort of going in a sense, like it keeps you thinking about day-to-day sort of news and... Um, bit of history in there as well, um, just things that are relevant in the community. It keeps you thinking about things that aren't just in your world, mm-hmm. you know, other people's worlds. So, um, yeah, that's one little thing we do. Love it. Perry, Vittori, thanks so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our chat and um, I wish you all the best for the future and, and I look forward to, to following you along the journey. I'll be on your socials very soon. I've already started linking in with some of that stuff. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for your time and sharing your journeys. Likewise, thank you, Simon. Appreciate it, mate. Cheers. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode, and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.